to those who are closest to me. I have compassion for those who are on the other side of the earth, but to my own relatives and my families, I find that my heart is often hard, and my heart is often um, unsympathetic, especially with the gospel. So I'm praying for myself, and maybe continue to pray for our, for one another, that God's grace will break through, and that God would grant us compassion for those that are near and dear to us. Well, it's a joy for for me to be back, and uh, uh, you might have you might have wondered where. Pastor James and his family have been for the past few weeks, and uh, I, I did a lot of uh, skipping school. So I'm done with skipping things in, in life. Uh, I did a lot of skipping school in high school, and uh, I wasn't ditching church. I was uh, gone. To, I went to uh, Spokane, Washington uh, with my whole family to minister to uh, Christ Our Hope Bible Church there, uh, pastored by Pastor John Smith, a godly man, uh, we have some of my pastor's friends, like Todd Dykstra and John Coe, we call him the Godfather because he is the man to go to and we have uh, theological questions, exegetical Greek questions. A few weeks ago, I called them Saturday afternoon because I was caught up with a conditional clause in the Greek and I had a hard time figuring out Greek infinitives, so I called him. He was doing yard work, he put it away, and he spent 30 minutes in his Greek text helping me <laughs> with the ABCs of Greek. And so when he calls you to come and minister, you say, yes, sir, and you go right away. And so we lugged our five kids all the way to Spokane, Washington, 22 hours of total driving. All right? So with uh, Elias, a newborn, two, two and a half months old, stopping every three and four hours to make sure we're nursing him and changing his diaper. And so it was an adventure. It was a very sanctifying experience. <laughs> when Dan was talking about Jonah and the belly of the fish, I was in the belly of that minivan <laughs> with five kids. And so I know what it's to say, salvation is of the Lord. Um, so a great time, great gospel ministry there. They were, they were so hungry for the scripture, so hungry for the gospel. It really was. I certainly say it was the best time she's ever had in, in, in retreat, and I agree. This wonderful uh, time of preaching the word and, and fellowship with the saints there. Definitely a different culture in Spokane, Washington, than Orange County, California. And going there, I kind of knew that, so I kind of adjusted my illustrations for that reason. I have an illustration about James Cameron and Avatar, and I said, you know, I shouldn't use that because that movie kind of promotes pantheism, and uh, it's really too high-tech. It might offend people. So instead, I used the illustration with uh, Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno. You know, Conan O'Brien said, I would never have done that, and that self-righteousness, how we all have that. We think we're better than others. We would never sin in that way. And I gave that illustration, and there was zero response. <laughs> it was like I was talking in Korean. I was like... <laughs> And so after, a few days later, I kind of knew. It was a hit, hit or miss. I kind of asked Pastor John, yeah, like, you know, that, I don't think people really got that illustration. He said, James, I don't think there's a single person at our church who's ever seen The Late Show or The, the Late Night with Jay Leno. Not a single person has seen The Conan O'Brien Show. I'm like, what? What? You know, Cornerstone, people are wearing, like, I'm with Coco shirts, right? <laughs> there. They've never even seen that show, let alone heard of them, so... All those adjustments, um, despite all of that, God's grace worked, and uh, it was a joyous time. So glad to be back, 
And uh, greetings, uh, they send their greetings, uh, Christ Our Hope Bible Church and Pastor John Smith. Uh, I talked to Elder Bob as well. Our, our, our prayer is to invite him to come and speak at our next family retreat. You know, we've had several Life in the Father's House retreats, and I think you're kind of tired of listening to me and <laughs> listening to our, our leaders. So it'd be good to have a, a guest speaker come, and you're just going to be really blown away by this man, his family, by his children. We, we left um, Wednesday morning at 7, 7 a.m., and, you know, my wife and I, we're not morning people, so we kind of, you know, tried our best. We got out there around 7.30, 7.45. He came with his sons, and they washed our minivan. At 6.30 in the morning, they washed our minivan. And I was like, oh, you missed the spot. <laughs> I, was, I was just so blown away. I mean, what servant heart. Here's the, the lead pastor of this church washing my car. And uh, so it would be a joy to have him come and minister to us. Well, today is a special Sunday. We're going to uh, have communion, Lord's table, at the end of our service. So we'd ask that you prepare your hearts throughout the service, that you would prepare our hearts to meet Christ. Um, worship service is not a classroom setting. We're not here to just learn more things, gain more information. It's not an entertainment time. It's not a stage. I'm not a you know, wannabe comedian, though I try to be sometimes. That's not my role in the church. We are here to meet God. And God meets us through the gospel and the two ordinances that he has set for us are not worth sign of an inward condition, that is baptism and communion. And today we have the joy to partake of the Lord's table, the bread and the cup by which we remember the cross of Christ. And so by the remembrance of the cross, through those elements, God meets us. So we'd ask you to prepare your hearts for that at the end of the service. Every communion service, we have our book ministry come out and uh, I'll just present before you uh, some choice books that are recommended by the elders and pastors and the leaders of our church. And so I ask you to go by and, and, and take a look. There's some great books there, great material resources to help you and aid you in your walk with Christ. And I want to bring the whole book table up here, but um, it's not very, uh, you know, just wise to do that. So I just brought one book. And, uh, you know, my, Elizabeth thought I was preaching out of this Bible today, and I uh, was disappointed to hear I, I wasn't. The Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers his name, and we use this Bible for our, our family worship, family devotion. We should be more consistent. I know Elizabeth, Emma, but uh, when, when we do, we use this Bible, and it is so good. It really highlights how Jesus is the, the glory of God, how, how the whole Bible points to Jesus Christ. And as to when, I mean, we, we, we go through it with our children, and we are choking up. We are crying because it is so powerful. The message is so impacting to the soul. We find ourselves really with tears preaching the gospel to our children. So all you parents out there, I don't know how many copies there are, but get this Bible. Right? Money back guarantee from Sarin's pocket, right? <laughs> She's rich, so she'll... Give you your money back if you're not satisfied. And if we run out, go to Amazon, go to Westminster uh, Bookstore online, or wherever, Christian book, and order this book today. Well, enough about that. Let's um, open your Bibles to Luke 11. And we're going to study the topic of prayer this morning. And it's been on my heart since we studied it in Ephesians 3. And I sense just um, how God has been using prayer in my own life and in the life of our church 
that help us really understand the gospel, understand in grace, and grow as Christians. And I'm realizing more and more how dependent we are on the Holy Spirit, so we cannot live the Christian life apart from prayer. Prayer is so essential and so key, and so often misunderstood and so neglected by so many of us that we want to continue to pound this truth into our hearts. Now, prayer is the easiest thing in the world. I mean, it's so natural, right? It's just talking to God. And there is not, there should never be a sense where our prayers are unworthy to the Father. It's like our, my kids, they draw me all these things, and they're all masterpieces in my eyes. Not because they are, they're not, but because it's my children, and they drew it for me. So whatever they drew, it's beautiful in my eyes. Likewise, as children of God, when we go to the Father and when we pray, He never criticizes us. He never checks our grammar. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't correct us or think our prayers are beneath Him. It is the easiest, most natural, free thing that Christians have been given to do. So we should be abounding in prayer. But at the same time, the contradictory aspect of prayer is that it is the most difficult thing in the world for us to do. I heard one preacher say that he's given lousy sermons. He's given sermons, and I've been there, where sermons don't make any sense. He's lost and everyone's lost. But he's never forgotten the fact that he was actually preaching, right? No matter how bad you're doing as a preacher, you don't forget you're preaching. But oftentimes, you're praying and you forget that you are praying. Right? You are forget that you are praying to the God of the universe, right? Our Father who art in heaven, because it is prayer is so difficult. You are preaching and people could be walking in and out, kids could be crying, people falling asleep. And you're focused, you're not distracted. But when you're on your knees praying, a single fly buzzing in the corner of the room can distract us and, 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 and lead us away from praying to God. Prayer is a definitely a challenging thing for Christians. That is why in Luke 11, we find this great request from this dear apostle, this unnamed apostle, I, I got I to gotta thank this guy when I meet him in heaven. And who was that that asked this great question? Because he saw Jesus pray. And this good doctor, uh, Luke, took note of Jesus' prayer life throughout his gospel. And when he was baptized in Luke 3.21, Luke noted that Jesus was baptized and he was praying. And as he was praying, the Holy Spirit descended upon them like a dove and an audible voice was heard. This is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Luke also noted in chapter 5.16 that Jesus would often withdraw to places. He'd excuse himself and disappear and they would find him alone, solitary, on his knees praying. Before great decisions like picking who to choose to be with him and to learn from him in 6.12, Jesus prayed to the Father. In Luke 9.18, Luke also notes that Jesus was with the disciples. He was actually in the congregation of the disciples, and yet when they looked at Jesus, he wasn't participating in the dialogue. He wasn't engaged in conversation. He was praying while he was in the midst of many people. In Luke 9, Luke notes how he took others to pray with him. Peter, James, and John, he took them to the mountain to pray with him. Uh, it was clear that our Lord was a man of prayer. And it was not so much the, the frequency of his prayer or the prolonged nature of his prayer. What impacted th- those who saw him was 
the, the freedom that Christ modeled in his prayer. The exuberant joy that was part and parcel of his prayer life. The joy with which he prayed. The power that was evident as he prayed. His prayer life was completely different from the religious leaders of Israel. Their prayers were formal, methodical, organized. Right? Their eyes were dotted, their T's were crossed. Very reverential, very lofty speaking, repetition of words. But the Lord's prayer was different. There was spiritual zeal and power. There was intimacy. There was joy. There was freedom. There was a close relationship with the living God. So much so, when the disciples saw Jesus praying in Luke 11, they had one request. Lord, Master, Teacher, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We want to pray to the Father like you are praying. We want to learn to pray like you. Teach us. What a great request. Teach us to pray with such freedom, with such confidence, with such joy and intimacy. And, and I don't know about you, but my life would be completely different if my prayer life was different. I would literally be a new person, a different man. My prayer life was different. Not just praying out of discipline and diligence. Not praying as if some religious devotion or duty. But if my heart was different as I approached the Father in prayer. And so Jesus answers, responds by teaching them how to pray in verses 1 through 13. Now, we've done various studies in 2 through 4. The Lord's Prayer. Now, it's not the Lord's Prayer because he's teaching, teaching them how to pray. So it rightly termed, it is the disciples' prayer. Really, the Lord's Prayer is found in John 17, the high priestly prayer. We've done this study several times in the history of our church. And for, for more study, for, for, for that, please go on to our website and, and the sermons are there for you. But for, for our time today, I want to focus on verses 5 through 13. I want to focus on verses 5 through 13, and there we find Jesus helping us, not with the content of our prayers, but helping us, informing us, guiding us, and teaching us how our hearts should be as we pray. What kind of mindset, what kind of attitude, what our heart position ought to be when we pray and as we pray, and the answer is surprising, it is shocking. It is, it, is, um, it is delightful what Jesus says. He uses a parable of two neighbors and an analogy from the context of a family. And Jesus tells us that as followers, believers of Christ, that when we pray to the Father, we are to be praying shamelessly, without shame, boldly. So bold that it borders on being offensive. Right. Borders on being offensive. Let's go to verse 5. Now, he said to them, which, which one of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now, this is midnight pre-electricity. This was real midnight. They've been sleeping for hours by this time. You know, midnight, to some of you, especially college students, that's the beginning of night, right? <laughs> for some of you, midnight is time for second dinner, right? Midnight is, I don't know, Conan O'Brien show. I don't know what it is for you, but 
for, for people at, at this time, midnight was middle of the night. They didn't sleep for hours. And the door is shut, a cumbersome door. And the family slept in one large room together. And a neighbor comes in the middle of the night, knocking on the door and says, I have a request. What is this request, middle of the night? Must be an emergency. Is your wife having a baby? Right? The burglar entered your house. Is someone hurt? Someone broke their leg? No, no, I just need three loaves of bread. Right? I just need some food. Right? What in the world? This guy's waking me up in the middle of the night for a midnight snack? You answer him, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My kids are sleeping with me. I cannot give you anything. And now parents, you know how hard it is. Single, if you don't have, you have no idea, but for parents, to get our kids to go to sleep is the most difficult thing in all the world. Right? You put them down to sleep and they have a thousand and one excuses why they cannot sleep. They got to go potty again. They're thirsty. They're hungry. Emma's got a nightmare. Right? Elizabeth is hot. Right? Eleanor is talking. It takes, it's, so on a rare night when they go to sleep, it is like, so for me, my, my day begins after they go to sleep. Right? All the good snacks comes out when they go to sleep. Man, I could live. It is Friday night for me every night after the kids go to sleep. And so the last thing I want to do is wake them up. Right? The last thing I want anyone to do is wake up my kids because it's so hard to put them down again. Only one time, as far as I can remember, have I ever woken up my kids and I was okay, okay with it. Right? 2002, Korea versus Italy, <laughs> World Cup. Right? They went last few minutes, Korea tied it 1-1, and overtime, Koreans scored a winning goal 2-1. Four in the morning, I screamed, Elizabeth woke up, I was okay. Right? <laughs> so unless there is a burglar, right? Someone is dying, or Korea won a World Cup, I don't want to wake up my kids. So that's what this guy is saying, right? What's going on? Did someone die? Someone's sick? Did Korea win? <laughs> No, your friend came by and you need bread? I'm not going to uh, wake up my whole family for this. And Jesus says, and he, Jesus cuts to the chase. I tell you, this neighbor will wake up his family, open the door, give this friend three loaves of bread. Why? Not because he's a compassionate friend. Because of this man's impudence. Right? You see that there in verse Eight, impudence? That's an SAT word. And I must have gotten that word wrong in the SAT because I had no idea what that word meant. I had to do what all, all of us do now, just Google it, right? You have a question? Right? You don't go to book, you just Google everything. And I Google it, and impudence means without shame. The quality of being offensively bold. Offensively bold behavior. Audacity, brazenness, some synonyms, chutzpah, right? Having the gall, having, having the nerve, pushiness, presumptuousness, sassiness, being brash, right? So, authorized version, importunity, new century, boldness, good news, Bible, shamelessness, NASB, persistence. So the point of this passage is not about the neighbor who gives the bread in us. The focus is on the one who is asking. That's why the, the imperatives in the very next verse is ask, seek, and knock. Just like this neighbor with his impotence, we are to ask God. 
Right? The, 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 the parable here is, the point is, we are the friend who goes over to ask. And how are we to ask God? Just like this guy, shamelessly. The Greek word, anadeia, is the opposite of idos, which, is, which means propriety, modesty, reverence, being bashful. That's how the religious people want people to pray. Jesus says, no, the opposite. When we pray, there, there's to be this um, shamelessness. Now, one more family illustration to kind of maybe highlight this point. Uh, every once in a while, Chick-fil-A has this deal. Every day of the week, they give away free food. From 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., you go and you ask for a special free deal of the day. You get nuggets, you get potato wedges, you get brownies, you get the parfait. All you got to do is ask. And for every person in the car, you get one free uh, you know, item. So my wife, a few months ago, goes and takes Elizabeth and Emma. She gets free nuggets. Next day, she takes Elizabeth, Emma, and Ethan. And she gets four free things, four like chicken strips, right? So on Wednesday, she says, James, come with me, right? Because I get you one too, right? So and she takes Elias. We all go in a minivan. And she says, I want seven free chicken strips. Special meal of the day. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, man, I have money, right? I can pay for this. I'm sitting there. And they look, they, they look at the van and count everybody. And they see the baby seat. And I'm like, he doesn't even eat solids yet. <laughs> but seriously, he's a human being. He's a person. We want those chicken strips. And so we get like all like seven things. And we eat it for dinner and for breakfast. And then it's Friday. She's gone every single day. And so here on Friday, I'm like, sorry, I don't want you guys go. I don't want to go. I, I, I have this, this false pride that's like, I have like, I'm sinful, right? I, I have this false pride. I don't want to show my face. And I want to buy my own nuggets and get it for, she's like, no, let's all go. So we go in the van again. And Seren's like shameless. <laughs> I want seven brownies. I've got a baby here. And so you said on your, your flyer, every person gets a brownie. I want seven. I'm like sitting in the passenger seat, like looking away. I got my little big sunglasses on, 80s glasses on. I'm shamefaced. Serene shameless. That is how we ought to be when we go to the Father. Shameless. You know, Thomas Goodman said we are to literally sue God. We are to take him to court. Said God, the flyer said, no, the Bible said. The Bible said this. This is what you promised. This is what you said. I'm going to hold you to it. Right? Martin Lloyd-Jones is almost like wrestling God, wrestling with God. Right? Samuel Chadwick said, there are blessings of the kingdom that are only yielded to the violence of the vehement soul. Right? A vehement soul, an ardent, zealous soul receives the blessings of God. In that manner, we are to go to God and say, God, you said this. And God is not offended when we do that. Just like parents, fathers aren't offended when we promise things to our young children and they say, right, I say, oh no, we're not going to do it. But dad, you promised. You said. For kids, the world is big and promises are important. And they bind you to what you said. And as parents, we don't get angry. As parents, we say, you're right. Right? You only listen to when I make promises. You don't listen when I tell you to do things. 
And when I promise you, listen and you don't forget, yes, we'll go to get frozen yogurt at Yogurtland, right? Yes, we'll get kettle corn from Cheddar Joe's, right? Yes, we'll do what you what I promised because I promised you. Likewise with the Father in heaven. It's a, that's the illustration here. When we, when we go to the Father, and even like our, our greatest prayer requests in, in, in relative to who the Father is, is not an important thing. Think about it. Right? Three loaves of bread, it's not an emergency, but to the Father, the Lord of the world, the King of the universe, the King of all kings, who holds the whole universe by His right hand, all our prayers seem so petty. Therefore, we don't go to God with um, lower level or mid-level prayer requests. Only the, the big ones in our eyes. Because we think we're bothering Him. Right? We think we're distracting Him. We think it's not worthy of the Father. No, this is the perfect illustration. Right? Whatever our need is, we are to go to the Father because He promised us, He called us to come, and we are to come with this brashness, with this shamelessness, bordering on being offensive, with this familiarity with with God. And then he commands us in verse 9. He commands us three commands coupled with three promises so that we will be all the more bold in our prayers. He says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you. Jesus our Lord and Savior, our, 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 our masters, tells us, He commands us to pray. And when we pray, ask God. James 4.2, we do not have because we do not ask. Ask and you will receive. The first command, ask, implies humility and a consciousness of need. Hendrickson, Hendrickson says that this verb is used with, with respect to a petition which is addressed by an inferior to a superior. We are to go to God with our hands cupped asking God because we are in need. And then we are to go to God seeking. Seeking is acting, asking plus, uh, seeking is asking plus acting. It implies uh, an action on the part of the one making the petition. You pray and then you seek. And then third is you knock. Right? Knock. Just by that illustration, it's a sense of being persistent, persevering, continuous. Right, when, you, when, when, you're, when you go to someone's house and you knock, you ring their doorbell, it is intrusive. I, I get a little scared every time I knock on somebody's door. When I ring somebody's doorbell, because you are interrupting them, you are disturbing them, you are having an intrusive act. But if you do knock, if you decide to knock, you never just knock once. Right? Because if you just knock once, they'll think something fell on the ground. Right? The house is making creaking noises. They'll, they'll not come to the door. Right? A knock makes sense when you do it several times. Then they know, oh, someone is knocking. Right? It's not our pipes making a noise. Likewise, Jesus is saying, persevere. Continue to knock. And Jesus promised, if you ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and keep knocking, and the door will be open to you, and, and it, 
it's intensified, this promise. This threefold promise is intensified for everyone who asks. For every Christian who asks, Jesus, will, God will answer this prayer. You will receive, you will find, the door will be open to you. Now, this uh, brashness, this um, shamelessness makes sense all the more because of verses 11 through 13. Jesus shifts from the two friends, two neighbors, to the context of a family and the father. He shifts from friend to friends to family and, and tells us what our relationship with God is. It is not our friend who art in heaven. It is not our judge or our master who's in heaven. It is our father who art in heaven. That is the relationship between the father and us. It says in verse 11, What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, verse 13, who are evil, right? so he throws that in there, you, you are evil, we are evil. So we are evil people, but if our children come and they ask for an egg, right, we don't give them a serpent. They ask for a fish, we don't give them a scorpion. If we are evil, we know how to give good things to our children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The prayer makes no sense apart from a family setting. Unless we understand God as our Father, unless we understand that we are His sons through spiritual adoption, prayer makes no sense. If you know anything about history, you know about how monarchs rule their kingdom, you would know that you don't go to a monarch uninvited without being summoned. Esther 4.11, Esther said, we know what it is to come to a king without being called, without being summoned. The law is to be put to death. So if we are to go before a king without permission, without being summoned, the result will be execution. And if we dare come presumptuously, boldly, offensively, all the more, will be executed. And when we come to a king, you are to approach delicately. You are to approach almost backwardly, never showing your behind. You are to almost cower before the king. And there are stories of people coming to a king on their knees, crawling to his, to his presence. And the king would always be at a distance. You never approach the king closely. He would be elevated far off. And you would whisper in formal words only. That is how prayer is apart from this family setting. But in a family setting, it's completely, dif- completely different. We can go to the father because we're his sons. Um, and there's a picture of John F. Kennedy sitting at the Oval Office. And uh, you know, he's, in, he's sitting at his presidential desk, the desk that was used by presidents for, for hundreds of years. And he is the most powerful man in the world, right? And what do we see, this famous picture uh, below the desk is John F. Kennedy Jr. And he opened that, opened the, the door and, op- and op- used that hinge. Uh, FDR 
put that there to cover his legs that was with, on braces because of polio. He didn't want it to discourage the nation. All right, John F. Kennedy is at the feet of Junior, at the feet of the President of the United States, playing in the Oval Office. How is he able to do that? It was because he's his son. Right? No one dare come and approach the president or talk to him or at the most play in his office were it not you have this relationship where you're his son. Right? Right? This is what happened to us. Right? Spiritual adoption. John 1.12 But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not just children of God, Galatians 4, because through God sent forth his son, we have received adoption as sons. Right? The status of a son. Although we are male and female, all of us, in relationship to God, we have the status of his sons. And because we are His sons, God sent the Spirit into our hearts and we cry out, Abba, Father. Literally, Abba, Daddy. We call out to Him, Daddy, and He hears us and He responds. This is what happened to Christians. Adoption is not a change in nature or behavior. It is a change in status by the act of the Father. Right? This is not something that we have achieved through righteousness. This is not something that we can lose through our, our faith, faithlessness. This is something that God did unilaterally. He changed our status once for all through spiritual adoption where we have uh, this new relationship, new status, where we enjoy privileges, intimacy, and unconditional acceptance that no one else has in let me quote to you what uh, J.I. Packer said in his book, Knowing God. Uh, you know, Many people start that book and few finish it. Right when you're about to quit that book, keep reading because it gets so much better. Right? The, the, the pearls are in the first chapter and then like latter part of that book. right? And he's got a section, the latter part of the book, titled Sons of God. And it is one of the best expositions of the blessings of adoption into Christ. This is what Packer said. Sonship to God is not therefore a universal status into which everyone enters by natural birth. Everyone is not a child of God. Everyone is not a uh, a status of a son before God. It is a supernatural gift which one receives through Jesus Christ. The gift of sonship to God becomes ours not through being born but through being born again. And then in addition, he affirms the revelation to the believer that God is his father, is in a sense the climax of the Bible. It's the high point of the Bible. The door to sonship can only be opened by God, who is the sovereign Lord over all. And by his initiative, he sent forth his only son, who was born under the law, and he died under the law, so that the chosen of God may be adopted into this kingdom as justified son of God. And therefore, according to Packer, adoption is the highest privilege offered by God, even higher than justification. Let me repeat that again. Listen to this. Adoption is the highest privilege offered by God to us 
even higher than justification. He qualifies, this is not a denial, that justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. But rather, justification is our highest experience. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. Justification is forensic and it does not itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God as our judge. In theory, you can have the reality of justification without any close relationship with God. Contrasted to this is adoption, which is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as the Father. Packer states, closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of this relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father as a son is greater. This is what the gospel has done for us. It did not just save us and make us righteous. Not just forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life. The gospel forgave us. The gospel gave us an eternal life. And through the gospel, we've been adopted into God's family. And now, right now, not in heaven, right now, we are sons of God. And right now, this heartfelt, intimate relationship is what God desires from us. And this is experienced through prayer as we come to him. As a child would run to his dad with complete freedom, knowing there's complete acceptance. He would run to his father and with shamelessness ask, seek, and knock. He says, you are evil and you would give good gifts. How much more the Father? Now, what he is saying is true, this analogy. Therefore, the opposite is also true. Even evil parents, when their child asks for a scorpion, would say no. An evil parent, child asks for a snake, it would say no. More often than not, our children will ask for things that we know would destroy their lives or destroy our our house. They ask for things that are poisonous, that are deadly. They want it desperately, but we know. And we we, we tell them, if you knew everything we knew, you wouldn't be asking for this. You're asking for this because you're so immature. You're so self-centered. Because I'm evil, but you're more evil than me, right? That's what we do to God. So what did Jonah pray for? Jonah prayed for a great weather on his way to Tarshish. That's what he prayed for, right? Um, Job prayed for a carefree life. What did Saul pray for? Right? Help in finding Christians so that he might persecute them and kill them. These were things that these men prayed for. They're praying for scorpions and serpents. And God said, no, 
in your life? All those prayers that were not answered? And you wonder why? It's not because God is evil. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's because God loves you. He didn't give you these things. Right? All the things that you're craving after, James 4.13, you, you want these things to spend it on your passions. Right? You want to sin with these things. You want it for carnal reasons. And because God knows that, and because God loves you and God is good, He says no to you. And instead, verse 13, how much more than evil parents will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now this is amazing. This comes from nowhere. right? The Holy Spirit? Jesus is saying, again, if you knew everything that I knew, you'd be asking for the Holy Spirit. So knowing that, when you come and pray, and when you pray for serpents, when you pray for scorpions, when you pray for an egg or a bread, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I have so much here. We don't have time. I'm going to just give you two out of the four points. Um, this is what our true need is the Holy Spirit. If you're praying to God that you would grow in your Christian walk, who is the one that renews your heart to grow as Christians? Titus 3.5. It's the Holy Spirit. When you ask God for comfort because your heart is brought low, who is the comforter? It's the Holy Spirit. When you ask for help, who is the helper? When you ask for truth, who is the truth teacher? John 16. When you ask for power, who is the one that gives you the spirit of power? Acts 1.8. When you ask for wisdom, he, he is the spirit of wisdom. When you ask for guidance from God, He gives you the Holy Spirit who is the guide. When you ask for love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control, God, I'm undisciplined. I need to be disciplined. He gives you the Holy Spirit who will transform your heart and produce the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is self-control. See, it's like you're going to to your rich dad and you ask for money and he says, I'm going to give you the whole bank. Right? I'm going to give you everything. Right? That's the point. Right? He's going to give you the Holy Spirit that teaches us, that produces fruit in our lives, gives us giftedness, gives us direction and, God, and guide. He'll give us the Holy Spirit that is a source of our Christian lives, source of everything. And it is the Holy Spirit who will help us um, with the, the true burden in our lives. Now, we often go to God and we ask for help when we're, we're going through trials, going through difficulties, disappointments of life. But for Christians, we don't fear the trial in itself because we know uh, we'll be with the Lord forever. We're, we'll, we'll be with God in, with, in eternal life. Our concern is when we go through trials, hard times bring hard things out of our hearts. I mean, when people disappoint us, when people offend us and wrong us, when life doesn't go as we planned, uh, it provokes us to sin. All these uh, weeds come out, anger, right? frustration, judgmentalism, right? despair, doubt, unbelief, 
This is where the Holy Spirit comes and helps us. This is what uh, God is interested in. And this is what we're truly praying for. Uh, Look at my, several years ago, when my dad passed away, he was ill for months. And my dad passing away, that was sorrow. But my fear was the anxiety in my heart, the sadness, the sense of a Christ being far away. And God sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who comforted my heart and my family's heart. And when my wife and I have conflict, and we, when we have these differences and we disagreements and conflict, right, my carnal desire is I want the conflict to go away and for us to be happy again. But God knows what we need is for the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit to see how sinful I am and how, how need, needful I am to God how dependent upon God I am in my life, in my marriage, and that God would get all the glory from my marriage. Right. Several years ago when I was going through a near burnout and uh, I was struggling with despair and unbelief, I was praying for many things, but praise God, God gave me what I really needed. It's the Holy Spirit. That is what, um, that is the promise that Christ makes for you. That is the promise that God makes for you. And um, I'll close here. I'm just, i got to land this plane. I'll close here. The final question is that I want to ask you is this. Then, What keeps you from such um, shameless, bold, intimate prayer? You know, as you, as you go to pray to God, what keeps you from that shamelessness? What keeps you from freely going to God and praying to God. Right. Could it be um, you believe in justification, but you don't truly believe and understand and believe in adoption? That Christ died and saved you, and He wants more than just you to be Christians. He wants more than just you to be saved and have your sins forgiven. He wants more than just for you to go to heaven. He wants to be your father. He wants to bless you with good things. Our God is such a gracious, generous God. And he wants you to he wants to bless you with the best thing, which is the Holy Spirit. The reason that you live in uh, a spiritual poverty is because you just will not ask. You do not ask, you do not seek, not knock, and you're content in living in the spiritual ghetto all because of your unbelief. You can't believe that God would so love you so. Here is Jesus' invitation to come. Because we've been adopted, ask, seek, and knock, and he will grant the Holy Spirit to us. Let's pray. Father, what a marvelous truth that you saw fit to give to to us. Lord, our hearts, uh, we forget 
what a gracious, merciful, loving God that you are. Our hearts lose sight of the fact that because of your love for us, you sent your only son, your true son, the perfectly righteous, holy son of God to suffer, to be tortured, to be scoffed and mocked and die, to die on the cross on our behalf. You did all of this because of your love for us. And God, you desire so much more amazingly than for us to be saved. We, in our pride and self-righteousness, we don't want to ask of you. We don't want to bother you. We don't want to talk to you. We want to just be in a corner and be a slave and just worship you from a distance and thank you and, and just get to heaven as a, as a slave oh, in your kingdom. But God, in your mercy, you want so much more. You bring a best robe, and your shoes, and you bring a, a signet ring, a sign that we are members in every way of your family. And so you invite us to come and ask of you because you want to glorify yourself by your generosity, your continual blessing upon our lives and to the giving of your Holy Spirit. Lord, it is our unbelief that keeps us so far. It is our really legalism, our self-justifying hearts that causes us to live like foster children when we are your sons. God, we pray that spirit will break through, gospel will do its work, and we will discover this freedom that we have in Christ through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.